Now let's go bow as we get ready to open the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your care and your and what you would have us to see and understand. And we just thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Sam, am I? Yes, I'm recording. <laughs> All right, we're back into Ecclesiastes today. We're in chapter 3, starting at verse 15 and ending at verse 15. <laughs> that which has been is now, and that which is to be has already been, for God requires that which is past. I was thinking about this verse. Uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon oftentimes is talking about the vanity of living because it just keeps repeating and, and, and seeing it all over again. And there's two things I want two points I want to make from this scripture as we look in this. 27 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, there's, uh, under the, uses the term under the sun, and most of those times he says there is nothing new under the sun. And here he's basically saying the thing, same thing. And the first thing I want to point out is God is omniscient and omnipresent. And those are things we don't often think about, and yet we do. But how many times do we live like they're not true? You know, I've had many people go, you know, well, I wouldn't do this if I knew somebody was watching me. Well, there is somebody watching you. <laughs> you know, the most important person is watching you. It's not even your mom or your spouse or, or your neighbor trying to judge your Christianity. It's God himself who's always watching us. You know, and yet so often we live in a lifestyle as if we are not being watched or somehow we can hide what we're doing from God. In Job 26 1 it says that hell is naked before God and is uncovered. You know, and I think about this you know there are a lot of people who believe that once you go to hell you're totally separate from God. God is everywhere. You just won't have his comfort. You won't have his his peace when you're in hell but he will be there. He will let you know what you're missing he will let you know that you chose to be separate. You chose to be in that environment. And I've said this several times. A lot of people believe that hell is, is Satan's kingdom. It is not Satan's kingdom. It is his prison. Hell was created as a prison for Satan and the demons. He is not the, the ruler of hell. Okay, that's mythology where, where you have the ruler of hell, Hades, running hell. That is not what this hell is all about. Hell is a prison, and Satan is a prisoner in hell when he gets put there. He is not going to be the ruler. So get that out of your mind. He's not the opposite of God. And a lot of people think he's the opposite of God. He's God's opposite. No, he's a created being. He is very powerful. He's, he was created as the archangel. He's got a lot of power. He's been alive for quite a while, so he's very intelligent, very smart. But he is not God's opposite. It's not we have God on one side and an equal on the other side and we don't know who's going to win. We have God and somewhere down way below, above everything, everything else will be Satan, but he's way below God. Satan is not omniscient. He is not omnipresent. He is not all-powerful. He has great limits because he's a created being and when he gets sent into hell for eternity, he is not the ruler. He is not building a kingdom. If you want to say he's building a kingdom, right now he's trying to build a kingdom. Right now he's trying to defeat God. 
And in somewhere in his warped mind, he has this idea that he can beat God and keep things from happening. That's the whole purpose of him trying to destroy the Jews for all of history, because if he could destroy the Jews, especially before Jesus was born, if he could destroy the Jews, Jesus would not be born, because according to the prophecy, he had to be born of the tribe of Judah to be able to be Messiah. So he's tried hard to get rid of the Jewish people before. Since then, he's trying to get rid of them because they're the whole answer to the book of Revelation and God setting up the kingdom and, and setting up the millennial kingdom. So Satan is trying to get rid of the Jews. If he can get rid of the Jews, he can say, God, see, you're not, you're not all knowing. You're not all powerful because I was able to overcome your prophecies. So don't be surprised when the Jews are being attacked. They're being attacked because they're the center of all prophecy, even future prophecies that are to be accomplished. So God is there. He says, I see all that. In Psalm 145.5, it says that he understand, his understanding is infinite. To me, the greatest pleasure I have in living this world is that God knows everything. Okay, Not just everything that's happening right this moment. He knows everything that has ever happened. He knows everything that will happen because he's outside of time, so he sees time totally different than we do. And he says, I know what is going to happen. And that is great pleasure. You will never hear God say, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was going to happen. We say that all the time. But God is never going to say, oh, how did that happen? I just didn't, I didn't foresee that event happening in this person's life. That is not our God. <laughs> our God is out there saying, I've got a plan. If it wasn't that he had a plan, Romans 8.28 would be a lie, that all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. Because if he didn't know what was going to happen, he didn't have control of it, he couldn't make that promise that it will be for good. And that tells us that no matter what comes our way, we just relax and rest. Because we're not going to change all the bad that's coming our way anyway. All we can do is say, God, it's in your hands. I'll do the best I can. That doesn't mean I just sit back and do nothing. But it just means that, God, I'm going to put it in your hands. I'm not going to worry about what's going on. And life is so much better when you don't have to worry. When you're not worrying about the things you can't change anyway. You know, uh, you know it's said that most of the people worry about things that never happen. What a waste of your energy to make all kinds of plans and worry about what you're going to do for all the stuff that won't happen. Now, if it's likely that it will happen, it's not bad to make plans. Uh, to make plans to retire is not a bad deal. Because if, if you live long enough, you're going to retire. <laughs> so it's not bad to make plans to retire. Uh, if you remember back in your 18, your teens, and your 20s, you probably never thought that you'd get past 30 or 40 years old. You know, and now we were in our you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. We're probably not thinking we'll ever hit 100. 90s, yeah. <laughs> but you know, we always look at we're not going to, you know, somehow we don't think we're going to ever get to the next stage. And it's true. At some point, we're not going to get to the next stage. But we need to be able to say, God, I've got, I'm putting some plans in, in protection. You know, and that's one of the accusation people, well, you guys have believed Jesus is coming to take the church. You're not making plans for your future. We're always making plans for the future if we're smart because we've only been saying Jesus is coming back for 2,000 years. Just a short time. We are closer to his return today than we were 2,000 years ago. Just as when you're born and you're getting older and older, you're getting closer to the day of your death, even though you don't know when that day is, you're getting closer to it every day. 
Okay, I am closer to my death than I was, you know, 58 years ago, <laughs> almost 58 years ago next week. Uh, you know, I am closer. We are all closer to our, to our the day of our death than we were, you know, yesterday, the day before. So we make plans. Do we say, okay, well, tomorrow I'm going to die? I hope not. <laughs> you know, but we we make those plans that God keep me protected, and God says, I know everything. God knows everything. Nothing is going to surprise him. When you go home and, you've, and your house is burnt down to the ground and you've lost all your pets and animals and possessions, God knew that was going to happen. When you go to work and they fire you because they're downsizing or selling the company, God knew that was going to happen. He knows what's happening and he has a plan when we rest in him. And this is the good news. He is all-knowing. In uh, Hebrews 4.13, it says that all things are open before God. He knows. He knows the future. Why? Because he's there. <laughs> and it's hard for us to comprehend that. God is outside of time. Time was created for man, not for God. God has always existed, always has existed, always will exist. He created time for man because we were created to have a beginning and no end. We really have no end. We will die and we will be spending eternity somewhere. But we have a beginning. God has no beginning. And, uh, and sometimes when you talk to really smart people who think they're smart, they go, well, everything has to have a beginning. Everything but the prime beginning has to have a beginning. There has to be something that existed before the beginning, otherwise there can't be a beginning. And I know that's complicated, but it really is true. There has to be something that exists without a beginning or you can have nothing. Something. Some, you know, and, they, and scientists are like, well, matter is what's always existed. Well, that violates all kinds of physical laws, which we're not going to go into today because we're not talking about you know, cosmology today. We're talking about God being infinite. He goes beyond the beginning because he is the beginning, if you want to say it that way. He, he has no beginning. He has no end. And you must logically have something that is no beginning, no end to have anything. So God says, I know everything, and everything is open before me. He knows our past. He knows the decisions we're going to make. And we go, well, how can God know the decisions I'm going to make? Because he's already there. <laughs> he's outside of time. He's, he's uh, looking down at the you know, time, and he sees the beginning, and he sees the end. He goes, okay, yep, yep they're going to do that. All right. You know, and he already knows what we're going to do. Not that he makes us do anything, but he knows what we are going to do because he is outside of time. You know, and this is kind of mind-boggling, but one of the things I've said over and over, I am very glad that we have a God that we can't understand everything there is to know about him. Because if we could understand everything there was to know about God, he's too small. If I, in my human brain, can understand everything about God, that has made me God. And I don't want to be God. I just not, I'm not big enough, strong, smart enough to be God. And yet I have people go, well, you know, I have to understand everything there is to know about God. No, you're not God. And that is the problem that we have with our generation of people today and Christians that we want to be God. We might not actually say it, but why do we get upset with people? Because they don't meet my needs. You didn't do what I wanted you to do, and now I'm mad at you. Now, now, we probably aren't going to be that blunt, and we might not even think about it, but isn't that why we get mad at somebody? You didn't do things quite the way I wanted them done, and now I'm mad at you. 
You didn't make me the most important person in the world. You didn't make me the most important person in your world. Because I am the most important person in my world, and I don't care is what the world tells us. That is Satan's problem. He said, I will ascend to the holy place. I will sit next to the high God. I will be like the most high is his seven sins that he said is I'm going to be like God. And God said, fine, you're out of heaven. What was his temptation of Eve? The day you eat of this fruit, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Translation simply put, you will be God. What is our problem every time we fall into sin is I'm going to do something that makes me feel good. And as long as I feel good, it's a good, good thing and I'm going to do it. We raise ourselves up to be God. And granted, I'm not saying we sit there literally, you know, how can I make myself God today? <laughs> you know, we're not thinking that all the way through, but that really is what we say when we go out and sin against God. I'm going to do what makes me feel good because I'm the most important thing and it doesn't matter who says not to do. You know, I'm going to be mad at all these people didn't, don't, don't recognize that I'm God and I'm the most important things and sliced bread and, and the creation of the world and I'm supposed to be the one that's you know, lifted up and exalted. And if I don't get that treatment, I'm going to get mad at everybody. And God says, that's not the way I am. I'm God, you're the servant. And because I'm the, you're the servant, you're serving me and you're serving one another. The beautiful thing about serving God is that we can love one another. Why? Because I'm not looking to exalt myself. I've shared this over and over. My job here at this church is not to build this church. My job is to build the kingdom of heaven. And God's job is to build this church. And he does a good job. He, he will bring people in and he will build it. But my job is to build the church. My job is to build saints that follow him. And we'll then go out and share the gospel and love one another. How easy is it for us to get into hatred and bitterness? The movie we had Friday night was all about the pastor getting a lot of hatred and bitterness as he got his eyes off God because he didn't get the things that he wanted to have happen. By the end of the movie, he started realizing, I'm here to build God's kingdom, not my own. We need to always understand, we're here to build God's kingdom, to serve him. And the good news is, we get rewards put into heaven when we do so. <laughs> you know, if you really want to think about it, our rewards are in heaven. When I do things here, I'm going to have an eternal reward because I've served God and lifted him up. What are all those rewards? I have no idea what all of them are. We're told we're going to have the crown of life. We're going to have life everlasting. You know, can you imagine a world where you don't forget things? <laughs> you know, I, I can't even imagine that You know, when I think about all the things I've forgotten in my lifetime. <laughs> And forgotten some very important things, like things about the Bible. You know, I go, I know that. I know where that's at, and I have to go look up find, and find it. You know, to me, I think the greatest thing about heaven is not just being with Jesus for eternity, but not forgetting. <laughs> not forgetting the stuff that I've been taught. Not forgetting the stuff that God has taught me. But God knows everything. And can you imagine for all of eternity, learning from God? Learning from God for all of eternity, he's going to have new information to give to us. That, to me, is mind-blowing in and of itself. God, you know, and I've said it, if God somehow runs out of stuff to teach us, he'll just create more stuff to teach us. I don't think he's ever going to run out of stuff, but, you know, you get the point. If, oh, well, gee, I've got running out of some things to do, I'll just create some more stuff for them to, to learn. 
Why? Because he created everything in the first place. There's nothing to learn that he hasn't created already. And because he is infinite, we'll be learning about him infinitely. Do you realize that every time we think we know God, he'll show us that we don't even know him? That has been my experience over time. God, I think I'm beginning to understand your love. He goes, let me just show you. You're, you're still playing in the kiddie pool. You're, not, you're only getting your toes wet. And you think, you're, you think you're up to your neck. Let me show you that you're just getting your toes wet. Understanding his grace and his mercy. You know, we don't even have a beginning hold on his grace and his mercy. Because every time we think we do, he'll show us how deep his grace and his mercy is. Because he starts showing us what sinners we are. You know, if you ever get to the place where you think somehow, you know, God, I've made it. I'm not that great a sinner anymore. I've got nothing but little sins left. God will show you. Your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. He just shines a little light on it and goes, oh, it's ugly down there. God, turn that light back off. You know, close that door. I don't want to see that. And he goes, nope, we've opened it now. We're going to work on it. God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He is much more than we can even ever comprehend and never know all there is to know about him. You know, why did he create man in the first place knowing that we were going to sin and that he's going to have to pay the price of the death of his son and suffer for us? I don't know. You know try to explain the Trinity and we'll tell you all the verses that are about the Trinity. We'll pr prove to you that there is a Trinity because the Bible says there is, but we won't ever understand the Trinity. Try to understand everything there is to know in the Bible. You know, I've only been studying it for a short 48 years and I still barely know anything about the Bible because every time I think I begin to understand it, he shows me new things in the scriptures. Our God is so much more than anything that we can think or imagine. He is bigger than we can imagine. He is more powerful than we can imagine. He is more loving than we can imagine. He is more forgiving than we can imagine. You know, and he would have every right to look at every one of us and say, you're not worth it, destroy us. Because of how sinful we are. Could have done that. Jesus on the cross could have said, God, they're not, you know, Father, they're not worth it. Just take me home. We'll, we'll let them all go to hell and we'll start all over. And yet he did not do that. His love for us said, I came here to die for them. I'm going to die for them. And it wouldn't have been a sin for him to say, you know, just, you know, they're all gone. We belong to him. The lost belong to him, whether they'd like to believe it or not. They belong to him. And when they choose to be poor servants for him, he's right in judging them and sending them to hell. Everything belongs to God. Do we truly believe these things? Do we truly believe that he's omniscient? Do we know, really believe that he's omnipresent? Do we really believe that he owns everything? Too often we think of it as my stuff. You know, God, this is all my stuff. I'm not giving it back to you. <laughs> God, I know you want me to give tithes and offerings, but God, it's my stuff and I need it to survive and you gave it to me and I'm not giving it back. Well, I know one thing over a long period of time watching other people's lives, God takes his stuff back whether we give it to him or not. It's much better just as our song said, every knee one day will bow. We have a choice of either voluntarily bowing our knee and conf confessing he is Lord or standing at the white throne judgment and being put down on our knees 
and saying you are Lord and being forced to. It is much better to say voluntarily, God, you're Lord. <laughs> I love it. You're, you're in charge. And the same thing for taking and giving our gifts to God. It's much better to give it to him than him to take it away. Because he takes more than he's asking you to give. I can tell you that much right from experience in the past. He takes more than you, he asks you to give. The other part I want to look at this verse is not just his omnipresence, but this whole idea of Solomon saying, what has been is now, and that which is to come has already been. Now, I think about this a lot. The Bible, God repeats himself over and over and over and over again. Why? Because he knows that we're thick-headed, dumb, and, and keep forgetting. Now, and we know we are. We keep making the same mistakes in our own lifetime. And if you look at history, history keeps making the same mistakes over and over again. The church keeps making the same mistakes over and over again. It's been said that those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. And it is true because you look at history and history keeps repeating itself. You look at church history. Most of the church has no idea why we do the things we do. And we keep doing the same things over and over again. We come, we get... We get too much sin in our churches, then we go way too far the other direction. We get too much law and legalism in our churches, and then we go, oh, there's too much of that, and then we go back and we do too much you know, grace and mercy and too much sin in the church, and we realize that we're not being a good witness, and we go, and it's a cycle that has been going on forever. You know, and it's one of these things we look at, and we see the way people treat each other when they don't follow this way that everybody else wants them to go. The church started out with a very great loving spirit. And then as it got large, they decided they needed rules. <laughs> and they started making rules for trying to govern church. And then the rules became more important than God. And then people realized that the rules were more important than God and they rebelled to go back to grace. <laughs> it goes through. Our job as Christians, stay in the center. <laughs> Realize that God has rules. And this is the hard thing because sometimes we think all about grace. And God is so loving and grace-oriented and merciful. But always remember that no matter how gracious and forgiving he is, there's consequences for your sin. When you sin, there will be a consequence that has to be paid. Sometimes God will be merciful and, and not give you that consequence. But most of the time, there's a consequence. Adam and Eve forgiven for eating the fruit of the knowledge of the good and evil, but they were cast out of the garden, which was the smallest one of their disciplines. To be kicked out of the garden was the small one. The bigger one was the fruit, the ground is not going to produce just straight fruit. You're going to have toil. You're going to have tribulation. The world was cursed by their sin, and we're living in the results of that curse today. Sin running rampant. Storms, earthquakes, uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, all the stuff that come because of the sin of Adam and Eve. You want to talk about consequences? Most of our consequences of our sin aren't going to be quite that earth-shattering. Why was there so important? Because they were made as the head of this world. They were created to still be alive today, 6,000 years later, <laughs> in charge of everything going on, and yet they sinned. And they caused great problems to this world. We look at all the different things. Every time we sin, there is a consequence that affects others. 
And it wouldn't be so bad if our sin only affected us. We could probably handle that. Okay, God, I did it. It's my fault. But when it affects your family, your friends, your work, if you're an owner of a business, sin has consequences, and we need to keep it in mind always. The sin has consequences that are always bigger than we expect them to be, and they always affect more people than we expect them to affect. Keep in mind, God's gracious and forgiving, but he has consequences. When David took Bathsheba as his wife and killed Uriah, and he thought he got away with it, went for a year without uh, confessing a sin and was finally pointed out, he had a judgment, and God says, a sword will never leave your family, and you will have trials, and thousands of people died because of David's sin. Consequence of sin? Pretty severe. Now, any of us are important enough that thousands of people will die because of our sins? Probably not. But what about your family? If you love your family enough, if your sin affects your family, that's bad enough in and of itself. Even if it's only four or five people, that's a bad deal to just say, well, God, your mercy and grace, I'm going to go out and sin. Don't. There's consequences. God tells us in his word how to live. He tells us how to be righteous. Our goal is to be righteous, to let him crucify our flesh. And then when you start sowing good seeds, he gives you back peace. You know, one of the greatest things about doing what's right is you're not worried about being discovered all the time. Have you ever sinned and you spend all your time wondering, I wonder, who's, I wonder who knows, I wonder who's gonna, who, who's, 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 who saw that, who, who's going to make it? You know, and even if they don't ever see or say, you're, you're now struggling with, I've done something wrong and somebody might find out about it. That's a terrible place to be. Yeah. But you know, when we follow God, I don't have to be looking over my shoulder. Who's watching me? Matter of fact, I'm almost going, okay, God, let some people be looking at me. I made the right decision for a change. <laughs> you know, I did what was right. God, how many, were there were some people looking at me? Did they see me make the right decision? You know, and unfortunately, sometimes we don't know that. But you know, this is all the stories that fathers especially are told this over and over. Your children are watching you. How are you living? What do you do? How do you run your daily business? How do you act in general? We are being watched as Christians. I have people, oh, nobody's watching me. If you have told anybody that you're a Christian, they see you going to church, they see your actions, they are watching you. They want to see, is this Christianity stuff real? Is this love, these crazy people who say they love people and they're nice to people in general, are they really real? And you're being watched. They want to know, is it real? Which is why being a, being a hypocrite is such a bad deal because people go, well, you're just like us. This Christianity doesn't work. I knew it wasn't going to work anyway. I knew it was all a game, all show. And it's sad because we're going to make mistakes. When you make a mistake, the hardest thing to do is to apologize to those who are watching you. Sometimes for parents, our hardest thing to do is go back to our kids and say, you know what, I'm really sorry for the mistakes that I made raising you. You know, I did some really bad, bad mistakes and I want to just say, I'm sorry. We look at the people who are watching us and going, you know what, you watch me, I was a very bad Christian, I've repented to God and I'm now going to ask for your forgiveness. Does it matter whether they forgive us or not? No. Our job is to just let them know that we are not perfect and God is. Because they're looking for something that's real. 
Why do we lose most of our kids from the church? Because they don't see something that's real in many cases. They see mom and dad going to church and being one way at church and being totally different when they're on the road, cursing everybody out on the road because they're so angry about all the dumb drivers. And they're going, well, you were just so loving and kind to all those people in church, and now you're angry and mad at everybody? They see us come back and go, well, you know, I had to, make, I had to bend the truth a little bit to get this, this deal put through. But, Dad, you told me to always to tell the truth. Yeah, but this is business. <laughs> Double standard. Hypo- hypocrisy. We need to be careful that we live God 24-7 and that we are ready to apologize when we do things wrong because we will. We're not perfect. We'll all sin. Most of us will sin every hour, maybe every minute. <laughs> you know, maybe we'll have a really successful period. We'll get a little time when, we, when we're doing things God's way because we're so focused on him. But eventually we're, gonna, we're going to slip, whether it's mental or speech. And it's so easy to get, get, get uh, slipped up on our speech when we're not quite, when our needs aren't met and we're a little tired and we're frustrated and all of a sudden we get angry at somebody for not taking care of us. And God's saying, all I wanted you to do is take care of them. Our rest is coming. And it's been very true that we are his servants. Our rest is not while we're on this world. Our rest comes when our work is done and we are in heaven. And he says, now you get to rest, and that rest is going to be a long time. <laughs> All of eternity, we get to rest and serve him in whatever it means to serve him in a perfect environment, having a perfect job that's not going to be any stress. But while we're here on this world, we need to recognize that we're his servants. And that means to sacrifice my needs, my wants. Good news is, God will give us back so much. The apostles told Jesus when he's saying, you know, many have left their fathers and mothers, and they go, we've all left our families. And he goes, none of you have left anything. I'm going to give you much more. Being in the body of Christ, we have all kinds of brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, you know, people to take care of. God gives us an entire family to help us get by, and we don't really lose anything when we're really one family loving each other. How hard is that? It depends on your attitude. <laughs> You know, it's been said that if you're looking for a problem, you'll find it. Now, a lot of people go to churches. I've talked to a lot of people. Well, I just haven't found a good church to, to go to. Well, what's the problem? Well, they all have, and they start listing all kinds of problems. I go, have you been looking for anything good in these churches? No, nope, just looking for the bad. Well, then you're going to find it. You're going to find a bad apple. And you can have a perfect church, and, you, you know, number one, you coming into it is going to ruin it anyway. But you can find, if you find the perfect church, perfect church, you're going to find somebody who doesn't do things the way you want it done. Because if you're looking for the bad, you'll find it. Always. You will always. So we need to learn to be content and celebrate what we see right. Because you know, I know I'm going to offend lots of people all the time because of who I am. It's just going to happen. I don't purpose to do it. It just happens because that's I'm human. And you all do the same thing to everybody else also. <laughs> you know, you're going to offend people, not on purpose. Sometimes there are people do it on purpose, but you know, in general, a good Christian is not going to try to offend somebody on purpose, but it happens. You're going to believe something they don't believe. You're going to say something in a certain way. You're going to, you're going to say something in a particular tone that somebody's not going to like. You know, and they didn't mean anything, but you, know, you just heard this real, you know, that person doesn't like me. You know, 
Why did he say that? Well, they, they, they said I didn't look beautiful today. You know, they, or they didn't tell me I looked beautiful today. You know, they just said I looked good. They don't like me. <laughs> you know, and we laugh about this, but I've heard these exact statements coming out of people. You know, they didn't tell me what I thought they should have told me, so they they're not liking me. They don't. They're not having. They're not enjoying my presence. You know, or they glared at me. The sun was in their eyes, and they looked over your direction, and always saw the sun, but they're glaring at you. We need to be careful about the motives we put behind people's hearts and just learn to serve. Because you know what? Ultimately, it doesn't matter whether they like us, don't like us, or they're mean to us or not mean to us, because if we are our flesh crucified, I'm not worrying about how they think. I'm going to then, if I see somebody who's really in a bad mood, I'm going to try to cheer them up because they need it, <laughs> even if they're mad at me. <laughs> What do most problems come into me trying to defend myself from, from an attack that is not correct? And if I'm just sitting there saying, you know what, you're right. It doesn't matter whether they're right in this. I mean, I, I made a mistake. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm the cause of the, all the problems in the world. Okay, if that's what you want to believe, I'm going to take the, that I'm the problem of all the problems in the world. Now are you happy? They won't be. <laughs> but you know, if I sit there and try to say, well, you know, how, how, am I how am I the problem of everything that's happening all over the world and I argue with them? It doesn't work. You know, and I'm taking something really you know, bizarre. Nobody's ever going to accuse you of being the problem, you know, the problems of the entire world, hopefully. But, but it, it's not going to work to try to defend myself. So just let them do what they want and let God be your defense. God tells us if he's the strong tower, he wants us to hide in him. God is a strong tower, and the righteous run into him, and they are safe, we're told in the scriptures. Let God be your defender. God does a great job defending. You know, it is, it's peaceful letting him be your defense. Because I've had people go, well, you know what so-and-so said about you? I go, I don't care. <laughs> and I don't. You know, what am I going to do? Okay, I'm getting second, third-hand information that somebody is saying bad things about me, and I'm going to get mad at them because I... Have you ever been mad at somebody you don't even know because you listen to somebody else complain about them? You know, I've seen this happen. You know, well, if you knew my in-laws and you blah, 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 and you give them all these bad things, now they're mad at your in-laws. They haven't ever even met your in-laws and probably never will. And they're mad at them because of the way they treat you. I've seen that happen many times. Don't listen to that kind of stuff. Because when you do meet them, you want to have a... Judge them by what God gives you to, to look at them on, not by what somebody else thinks about them. We need to be able to come to this conclusion, God, you're in charge, and I just need you to defend me. I don't care what others think because you're the one I care about. Because who are you going to stand for before when your final judgment comes? If you're a Christian, you're going to stand before Jesus Christ at the beam of seat, and he's going to ask you, what did you allow me to do through your life? And he's going to take everything we've done, throw it in the fire, and see what rewards we have from it. Everything we've done in our own strength will burn up, wood, hay, and stubble. Anything we've allowed him to do will be left up and said, here's your rewards. Enter into the joy of the Lord. My ultimate desire is to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't care what other people think, you know, but being a good faithful servant there will be people who have good view of you and will encourage you 
Our job, job as a body of Christ is to build one another up. What happens when our own physical bodies get into trouble? Normally, our body works with each other to, to heal and fix it up. If a cancer starts in the body, it starts destroying our body and eating our own body and making more bad cancer cells. Too many times we in the church are a cancer in, in toward the other members of the church rather than the blood supply building one another up. So my call for us today is that we become more loving. We become caring for those that are around us, especially other fellow believers. But then take it and go out even beyond to the world. The world does not understand us. They think we're crazy. They think we're insane. We believe in a God that's all-powerful. We believe that God loves us, and we show that love hopefully to other people, and they think we're nuts. But you know, the flip side of this is there's too many Christians out there that are angry, attacking people, and telling them they're not good enough. Not good enough for what? None of us is good enough for God, so that what are we telling the world that they're not good enough for? Have you ever had anybody ask you, do you think God can forgive me? Maybe you've thought it yourself. Now, I don't know that God can forgive me. The answer is yes, he can. And already has at Calvary, he's forgiven us. His goal, though, is that we then turn to him and live and abide in him and allow him to change who we are. Let's make that our decision and, you know, to accept him, invite him in, and say, crucify my flesh and let me live in a righteous way. Let me live to be an example. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank for this opportunity we have to come and worship you. We thank you for this, your love and your care. We thank you that you so love us that you died for us. We thank you that you so love us that you say, abide in me and I will crucify your flesh and give you strength to live like me. Lord, we thank you for all of that. Help give us strength. Help give us desire. In Jesus' name, amen.